Teddy Talk. Plain Talk. Unrivaled Talk. Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the world headquarters of Straight Talking and, of course, Common Sense. It is the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Well, uh, it's a day when Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer uh, has decided to do a Boris Johnson and dodge the politics and dodge the journalists, pull out of an event where he was meant to make a speech and be asked a few questions. Why? Because apparently he doesn't want to be asked any questions because even though he insisted he didn't do anything wrong, he is still being investigated by the police in Durham, something which he said Boris Johnson should resign over, something which he says he should not resign over because he hasn't done anything wrong. It's the most ridiculous situation I think I've ever encountered uh, in all of the time that I've covered politics in this country. We've got the leader of the opposition who can't seem to stay... Uh, sane on any subject whatsoever. If you ask him a question, he can't answer it. He doesn't know what a woman is. He doesn't know what a party is. He doesn't know what a takeaway curry is. He doesn't seem to even know what the hell is going on inside his own brain. Has he even got a brain left? Lisa Nandy's been out uh, batting for him, uh, not doing a very good job, it has to be said. Uh, he's got all sorts of maniacs like Paul Mason uh, defending him, saying it's a Tory mudslinging contest. Well, it's not, actually. Uh, it's about people who tell lies and people who get found out and people who then have to do what they wanted everybody else to do, which is to fall on their own sword. John Rental is here with you from The Independent. We'll try and make sense of it all because we really should be talking about something else, shouldn't we? Surely there are more important things to talk about than Partygate. Beergate, Sir Keir Starmer, Sir Beer Karma, all of that. We'll talk about that. Peter Hitchens coming along later on. Uh, he's got plenty to say about Sinn Féin and how they bombed their way uh, to a united Ireland. I'm not sure he's right about that. A lot of people saying, hang on a minute, Sinn Féin won with 27 votes. Last time they didn't win with 27 votes. So... Are we really looking at the end of Great Britain and Northern Ireland? We shall see. 03444991000. We're also going to be talking uh, about all manner of other things. We'll find out whether the Queen is going to actually make the Queen's speech tomorrow, whether she's fit enough to do so, why Meghan Markle isn't going to be on the balcony and where the Netflix crew are going to go, because, of course, they're going to have to go somewhere. Uh, and if she's not out there, maybe they won't come. Who knows? 03444991000. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. This is Talk TV. It's the only place to be at 10 o'clock. Or actually, 10.06. John is here. John, a very good morning to you. <laughs> good morning. Well, good I mean, morning, you Mike. know, who knew that Sir Keir Starmer would get himself into such a mess over something so well, ridiculously straightforward? I don't want to. I don't want to say I told you so. Yeah. But I do want to say I told you so. Mike, yes. Actually, because I said calling for Boris's resignation uh, for being investigated by the police was a bad idea. I said ca- calling for 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 Boris's res- resignation for anything. Yeah. Was a bad idea because he's Keir never going to go. Well, well, because Keir Starmer should always be calling for a general election. That's yes. what that's what his job is. And if you call for the prime minister to go to resign, uh, then it's going to come back and bite you. I didn't predict. I didn't. I didn't imagine mm. how it would would come back to bite him. But yes. it has come back to bite him. It's almost as though you knew that he was doing something he shouldn't have been doing in Durham, for heaven's sake. But <laughs> no, I didn't know that. I mean, the thing is, the reason he doesn't call for a general election is he knows he wouldn't win one. That's well, why he doesn't call well, for no, one. I'm not sure about that, actually. Well, I am. I'm very I... sure about it because look what happened last Thursday. Labour actually yes. had a worse Thursday night than the Tories no, did. No, if 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 that had been a general election, Keir Starmer would have been prime minister. But I mean, he would this, not. Yes, he rubbish. Would. He would, Mike. I'm afraid. You... Well, how many seats did he win in Scotland? Uh, it doesn't matter. It he does have, matter. You can't it would win. Have been a hung, it would have been a hung parliament. And the point about a hung parliament is that the Conservatives are uncoalitionable. Uh, I mean, there may be maybe a few DUP MPs who might, who might or might not support 
uh, a Conservative government. Uh, so almost whatever happens, if the Conservatives lose Starmer, their majority, uh, Keir Starmer, Starmer, Starmer gained Minister. what three councils? It doesn't matter. I mean, in London, share of the vote. in the London, Labour's you can't do it on the share of the vote. You can't do it that way. You yes, have to I do can. it per, by constituency. I'll do it the way I. Well, I, you can. But if you want to be wrong, you can do it any way you like. <laughs> you know. But if you want to be right, right, you have to do it that my no, way. No, if you if you want to be right, you have to look at share of the vote. That's the only that's the only real test. It doesn't work. Labour no, it doesn't work ahead, like that. Labour had Labour was ahead of the Conservatives. John, if it was done by share of the vote, the Lib Dems would have a lot more seats. It's not done that way. It's no. done by constituency. No, that no. means if you don't win the constituencies, it doesn't matter how many votes you get. Yeah, no, but what matters what matters is how far ahead or behind you are the you know the two main parties what yes the gap it's is a factor but it's if not... labor is ahead of the conservatives in share of the vote nationally in a general election that is a hung parliament uh, yes and but if i'm it's saying a hung to you Keir is i'm Prime saying Minister. to you in terms of the individual constituencies what really counts in first past the post as you well know he is would, share of the he vote would, he would not absolutely. have won absolutely and the margin of difference between the two main parties he might have won um, london i'm now calling them london labor because as i've said now many times to many people's amusement is that he doesn't need a battle bus anymore he can just go on the tube <laughs> to all the constituencies that he's won from putney to barnet taking in wandsworth and westminster uh, on the way and, and not uh, although and Croydon. although he couldn't have done it on saturday because we did a live show on saturday in putney and there were no trains to Putney. Thank you, Sadiq Khan. No trains to Putney. Do you know what they wanted me to do? They wanted me to take a train from Waterloo to Clapham Junction, approximately a five-minute walk away, and then get on a bus. You should be on a bike, Mike. I can't be on a bike um, when I have to carry all my equipment with me. Oh, I think you could. I think you could. You could have one of those cargo which, bikes. Which with the great big I'm not ever. I'm no, like, one of the things you'll never see me driving <laughs> is one of those things. I hate those things. Absolutely ridiculous. The only things worse than that are the people who put their children in one in front of them oh, I know, and, and cycle them to school. Lovely, I mean, for God's lovely sake, to see. Unbelievable. Middle class wannabe Ramona. You seem to have gone off the subject of Keir Starmer. Yes, I, I don't know how we did that. The important point is this well, is because you threw me with your ludicrous assertion that he would have won uh, the, the last my correct, election. My correct assertion. Incorrect. Uh, the, the point about what's what's happened today, though, and yesterday, is that it's horrendously damaging for Keir Starmer because, I mean, he was he was making headway on all this on lockdown, lockdown parties nonsense uh, because he appeared to be the man of integrity. But he was Mr. doing, yeah, Rules, exactly. As, he was saying, I'm, Andy, I'm so Mr. Rules. I mean, I mean, that's a big mistake as well for her to say he's Mr. Rules, because when it turns out he's broken one, what's she going to say then? Well, she's going to say I should be leader. Uh, well, she might do, but that would be even worse news for everybody, because Lisa Nandy famously spent some time with me in the tent of uh, common sense down uh, in Westminster on College Green, trying to explain to me what deal we had well, with the European Union. I don't know if you've seen it. It's very funny. Where at one point she says we we haven't got a deal, we never did have a deal, yeah. and then and then asserts that actually no we do have a deal, and I'm like well, well which is it? Yeah, but she was Dominic Cummings's candidate for the Labour leadership, and therefore um, what she, ha- must, what she must be a good thing. Whatever happened to that guy? He went off Twitter because uh, has he gone? No, he's he's doing his paid paid for subscription uh, blog, so you can pay you I'm can not pay paying, to I'm not paying to, to, read to discover his thoughts. I'm not really not paying to read that. I haven't got time. <laughs> I mean, he needs an editor is what he needs. Anyway, anyway let's get back to anyway, Keir Starmer. Anyway, Keir not going to resign, and that, and that in itself is going to be incredibly damaging. Well, hang on. When you, when, you, when you say he's not going to resign, do you mean even if he gets a penalty notice, he's not going to resign? Well, it's going to be difficult for him, I isn't think he it? has but, to I mean, resign. No, I don't. I mean, he's a politician, and that that is precisely why it's so damaging, because he will then appear to be a politician just like all the others, um, you know, hypocrite and, uh, and and double standard. Well, he's already appearing to be a hypocrite. There's yes. no question about that. Exactly. There's already people in his party. I know it's maybe Diane Abbott and her kind of Corbynites who are calling for him to go, which, yeah. which is not a bad thing, I suppose, for him because he would expect that anyway. 
But it's just, I mean, you know, he has, he has, he has built his entire kind of reputation on being the man of integrity Absolutely. versus the guy that doesn't care. Exactly, the, who the just guy does who whatever breaks he the wants. rules and yeah. who, who doesn't tell the truth. Yeah. Uh, and and Keir Starmer is now is, is now tarred with the with the same. And break. this whole and, and, this, is, and, and the whole kind of you know sorry state of affairs that he finds himself in is entirely of his own making. Yeah. You know. His office got it wrong about Angela Rayner, said she wasn't there when she was, then gave this ludicrous excuse that, well, we were very busy that day, and uh, that's why we didn't know. Well, sorry, did you get anything else wrong that day? Or is it when it's busy, do you get everything wrong? I mean, how does that work? Well, uh, I don't think that's the important thing. The important thing is that, uh, you know, there are people who think that Keir Starmer broke the rules, or at least that what he did looks incredibly well, similar to what Rishi exactly. Sunak, for example, exactly did right. in turning up early for a meeting and then getting a yes, penalty note. because he may not be in the same category as what Downing Street was doing in terms of them having more parties and more events. Yeah. But that doesn't really matter. The fact is he had a an event yes. which nobody else in the country was having. Exactly. I mean, I certainly didn't have loads of people around for 200 quid's worth of curry no. after I'd finished a show here. Right. We didn't do it because I mean, as soon rules, as I finished here, I went home. The rules were absurd, but Keir Starmer voted for them and he actually wanted them to be stricter. Yeah. So it's no use. I mean, one of one of the defences, I've forgotten who, who tried to defend Keir Starmer with this one, uh, was saying, well, you know, Boris Johnson, um, Boris Johnson was responsible for the laws, uh, and therefore, when he breaks it, it breaks them. It's more serious. Yeah, uh, uh, that that's not going to wash. I mean, no. Keir Starmer voted for the for, for the legislation. He didn't oppose it, and he wanted uh, and all, all the Labour Party MPs to vote for it as well, which they pretty much did. Well, I think. they did absolutely. Yeah. And, and as as Jacob Rees-Mogg rightly points out, he's hoist by his own petard. Yeah, he is, and that's the story, really, isn't it? It doesn't matter how serious it was. It doesn't matter whether he thinks it was a work event. Yeah. It doesn't matter even whether it was a work event. It's been pretty well proved by this memo uh, that the Mail on Sunday published yesterday that it was very much a, a, an organised event beforehand. Yeah. It wasn't impromptu. It wasn't, oh, we're all a bit tired, let's have some food and then go to bed. But it was they'd people already, who were working. But I they'd mean, already scheduled. Yeah, but, but, I was, his, yeah, but we his were original, all working. His original explanation was they were working, they were terribly, working terribly hard. They paused for some food and then they carried on working. That doesn't, but they didn't because they stopped after they had be. the food. Absolutely. And, I mean, and it sounds just... I mean, he's lucky maybe nobody's asking what happened after that. No, well, presumably. If you didn't work, what were, you, what were you doing? Well, he went back to his hotel. Yeah, well, we know Radisson that. Blue. But who did he go back to the hotel with? What? It's like the famous question in, in All the President's Men. You know, listen, I'm not interested who you were in the hotel room with. I just want to know what you said in the hotel room <laughs> with whoever it was. Yeah. And then we'll leave that bit out. That's the question, isn't it? Well, the problem is that Keir Starmer's defence sounds awfully like uh, Boris Johnson's defence of his own um, his, his yeah, own lockdown it, bridges, which actually, is that I was working terribly hard. Everybody was working very hard. Yeah. Uh, we were working, 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 and I was... You know, if I if I made a speech, it was to thank people for working, and therefore it was all reasonably the necessary actually, for the purposes of work. But the difference between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer also is that in Downing Street actually is a work scenario. Yes, where they were isn't the miners' hall in the Durham. miners' hall in Durham was hired for an event. It seems to me. It wasn't just for work. But was I think, it? but they were they were doing campaign work. I mean, they were recording videos. Well, yeah, but what Zoom, I'm saying is, it wasn't their play, it wasn't their normal place of work, which is where Boris was at all times when they, these supposed no. But there is an on. exemption in the leg, in there was an exemption in the legislation for campaigning activity, um, so that they they can claim. Yeah, that. but why but, though? I mean, that still doesn't make him look any better. No. You know, I can't go down the road to see my children. But he can have a campaign event. Oh, great, super, marvelous. Well, Get that lost. was well. The question. I mean, there are. It is an important question as to what is what is within the rules and what isn't. Mm. Uh, but I mean, I think the rules were absurd. But 
And, and then there's a very important question of, of whether he's going to get a, a penalty yeah. notice or I, not. I mean, I find if he I, doesn't get a penalty notice, then a huge amount of damage is still done. Oh, I think he's lost. All... Well, he has no chance now of standing at the dispatch box on Wednesday, no. as he will, uh, and say. Well, that not I'm... on Wednesday because it's it's after the Queen's speech, but it'll certainly be Wednesday week. But... Oh, and so there's no PMQs. There's this no week? PMQs this week. Okay, so whenever he next does it and claims to be the man of integrity and points the finger at Boris Johnson as the man who was reckless and with disregard, well, he, he can't he just do it can't anymore. Do it. No, absolutely. So he's not. Boris, Johnson, Boris Johnson's going to say, does the right honourable gentleman agree that I should resign for being investigated by the police? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Keir Starmer's going to, at that point, have to change the subject. Presumably, which would be a good thing, because then they could talk about things that actually matter. Well, that would be good. Living. I mean, perhaps at that point, once again, we'll have an interjection from the Speaker saying it's not um, uh, opposition leaders' questions, it's <laughs> yeah. Prime Minister's questions, so you just answer the questions he's asking you. But stay where you are. John Rental is here. It's a fascinating state of affairs. I know it's bonkers and mad and crazy, but that's what our politics now is. This is Talk TV. Talk Radio. Get a grip. Raw talk. Pure energy. Clear-headed, honest opinion. Lively debate. Talk Radio. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the home of common sense and the place where you hear the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But what is the truth today about Keir Starmer? John Rental is here from The Independent. Uh, you're saying you don't think he'll resign no matter what happens. I think he'll be under an awful lot of pressure if he does get a penalty charge notice. Yes. Because of everything that he said, if he doesn't resign, then surely his entire sort of credibility is blown, isn't it? Well, but I think I think his credibility is so seriously damaged anyway that the additional damage from not resigning if he gets a penalty notice is, you know, may may not be may not be decisive. Uh, I mean, you've got to rem- remember it's very difficult to get rid of leaders of the Labour Party mm. if they don't want to go. Right. Um, and if he doesn't want to go, and you know, the sorts of people who get to be leaders of political parties are the sorts of people who tend to want to stay. Yes. Uh, in in those, no, but I mean, if his, his his whole selling point. I mean, you were saying that you know, had the uh, result on Thursday been extrapolated into a general election, he yeah. would have, he would have been the prime minister. His whole uh, mo, his yes. entire kind of DNA, is based on the fact that he's a man of great integrity, has always followed the rules will never do anything dodgy. Yeah. And now here we are where all of that's down the river. I know. And and that is going to, it's going to be fascinating to see what effect that has on on the opinion polls. I mean, right. And what uh, are you but, hearing from inside the Labour Party? Because I see Paul Mason appears to be defending him, which is quite surprising, given that he hates him. Um, <laughs> so I'm assuming Sadiq Khan will be sort of, you know, stirring well, the pot, trying to get himself into position in case he can have a go at it. Well, Angela Rayner, nobody's very sure about. Absolutely, and um, you know, Wes Streeting is uh, is out and about defending uh, defending the leader as well, yeah. um, with uh, with half an eye to the uh, to the top job himself. Um, I mean, I think I think most people in the Labour Party had their their um, heads turned possibly by people like me saying that uh, Keir Starmer could be prime minister mm. to thinking that those le- local election res- results really were a turning point and yeah. and, and, and sniffing the air of, uh, of possible government. Yes. Uh, and that's going to make uh, make it more complicated. Yeah, it? it will make it more complicated. But for the Tories, of course, all they've got to do is make sure that by the time the election comes around, uh, somehow the cost of living crisis has been made to disappear. Well. Fuel prices have gone down um, and everybody's back in the black. And yes, then well, if two, years, case, two years is a long time. A long time. And voters have short memories, yeah. so they and they and the Conservatives have really got to pray that voters have short memories because the next next year uh, is going is going to be terrible. Yeah, it isn't going to be good. What do we do uh, about Northern Ireland? Because uh, that was the other big political story at the weekend: Sinn Fein uh, winning with the same number of seats as they yeah. didn't win with last time. So there's <laughs> various people saying don't read too much into this, but I think you yeah. can say that if the First Minister of Northern Ireland is from Sinn Fein, there are going to be pressures to have. 
um, a, a conversation at the very least yeah, about well, no, uniting but, yeah. Ireland. No, I don't, no, but I agree with your analysis, is that, which is that Sinn Féin have not gone forward. No. Um, and so the, the, the only thing that's happened is that the DUP has fallen back and that's left Sinn Féin uh, in, 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 in the top, top position. Yeah. Well, the unionist vote has, has, has splintered, certainly. I mean, the other... The, the, the only two parties who did really well were the, alliance, the Cross Community Alliance Party, yes. which I think is a significant and very hopeful sign, uh, but also the TUV, which is the most um, the most naysaying uh, branch of the unionist right. movement. Uh, they did extremely well, yeah, uh, and that's a much less hopeful sign. Because, yes. uh, uh, but but I think the key point is that there hasn't been any great advance of the nationalist cause. Mm. I mean, in fact, the, the nationalist, the, the number of seats the nationalist, the two nationalist parties held together has fallen right. because the SDLP lost seats. Mm. The nationalist share of the vote in, in first preferences uh, fell very slightly. Right. Um, and so, you know, there isn't a great demand for a united Ireland uh, reflected. Well, I mean, then, yeah, because these elections are not really about that. I mean, they're, they're about the, the Northern Ireland Protocol yes. uh, and about the cost of living in, in, in Northern yes, Ireland. Yes, but the way that it has been kind of interpreted or misinterpreted, some people say, yeah. kind of gives you the clue about what the conversation is likely to be in the future, though, doesn't it? Well, I, yeah, I mean, Sinn Féin wants a, wants a United I mean, they Ireland, would like but, to have a United yes, Ireland, no but, question. But yeah, but there's no real evidence of a, of a, of a big shift in, uh, in, in opinion in, in Northern Ireland in that, in that direction, especially if, you know, the Cross-Community Alliance mm. uh, Party, I mean, <clears throat> it's very interesting because it doesn't really have a position on, right. on United Ireland. Right. So there isn't any growth, any big, right. big growth of support. The, what, what there is, is, is a big growth of, uh, of, of the Alliance Party, which wants, you know, parties to work together, mm. pe- people to work across the communities. In Northern Ireland, together to make uh, to make life better in the in the province and, and put the put the constitutional issue to one side. Yes, okay, but nevertheless, Brexit's still a problem in Northern Ireland. That still oh, has yeah. to be solved, and that can be. I mean, I think somebody was asking one minister over the weekend. You know, is Brexit more important, or is uh, stopping a United Ireland more important? Um, and they were a bit flummoxed by that. <laughs> well, I'm not be. sure there's a contradiction. I mean, th- I mean, I could see that. I could see the the, the, the problem, which is that if. If the UK government isn't able to satisfy um, the, the unionist demands to, to sort of amend the, the, the protocol, uh, then that's going to make it difficult for unionists to win elections in, in Northern Ireland in the mm. future. Uh, but, you know, they had huge pressure on the UK government to try and sort this out before the, before the elections. Yeah. Uh, and they, they didn't do so. The EU didn't budge an inch. Yeah. Um, and so it's difficult to see what's going to happen um, Well, next. I don't think it's going to be resolved until um, they wrote Article Article 16. I think that's the only way to do it in well, the end. Um, shall we talk about the Queen's speech tomorrow? We don't know yet if the Queen is actually going to be doing the Queen's speech because her health is obviously, you know, not great at the moment. We're yeah. not sure whether she's going to be strong enough to do it. Yeah, um, it's suggested what, that she won't decide until the right. last minute. But, I mean, we keep reading in Times today, we've got the story that the, the Daily Express did last week that, you know, Boris is going to, you know, revoke all of these EU rules and EU... <laughs> pieces of red tape which I would have thought we surely should have done already given that we're no longer in the EU but that's apparently going to free the economy and everything's (laughs) going to be better and it's all going to be boosted and we're all going to be happy I'm not quite sure how that's going to happen well yeah is is there going to be another Brexit freedoms bill um, I mean that's. I mean the thing about the Queen's speech is it's usually it's usually an awful lot of disparate legislation yeah. that's been been sort of cobbled together by um, different departments. Of, because my government will do this. Yeah, I mean, it's, right. it's, a lot of it is to deal with you know anomalies in the law that have, have emerged over the previous previous few years. Yes, uh, and to try and 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 politicians always do this. They always try and say there's some sort of big theme to uh, to what the government's doing. 
uh, and there never is. And the Queen's speech is never a very good opportunity for a government to to present itself as dealing with the uh, the people's priorities because people are only only really interested in. Uh, the cost of living and, and and the NHS and there's probably going to be remarkably little. Well, today in there we hear we're that. going to talk about it later on that the NHS in uh, I think it's in one part of uh, the West Country you can't actually get a dentist at all. No, well, dentistry, yes, NHS dentistry. There are literally no dentists to be had. To I think it's Somerset. Is it Somerset? Yeah, I think yeah. it is. There's no dentist to be had. I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. Well, I mean, yes, but what people are what people are really worried about is the waiting list situation, yeah. and that's and that's looking absolutely horrendous. Uh, and you were absolutely right in what you were saying earlier, which is that unless unless the government can turn things round by the time of the next election, they've got two years. Mm. They've got to have the NHS um, improving rapidly by that by that time, mm. or else they're going to be in in real trouble because yeah. the NHS is a labour issue. But they've already said. Um, I mean, I do detect though that the people of this country have started to move away from that whole kind of you know the NHS is the best thing that we've ever done, and you know it's the best of Britain and all. It's clearly not envy of the world. It's clearly not envy the envy of the world. Of the world. Right. It's not even the envy uh, of anybody's world. Actually, it's not even the envy of Sajid Javid's world. Well, either. they're not exactly falling over themselves in continental Europe to copy the NHS. Well, nobody they? does, do they? No. Um, in fact, I think we are the twenty-eighth. Uh, best NHS sort of effectively national health service that, yeah. that there is but I mean I think also that um, they've already said have they not that even if they start working on reducing the waiting list it won't have any effect until t- 2025 well on, on the on the sort of really long ways yeah. uh, possibly yeah I mean I think no I think that, that is a real problem for the government and uh, uh, they've got to uh, they've, they've got to get a grip on it or yeah. else so final question lose, to you then next election right Boris Johnson's leading the Conservative Party, but is Keir Starmer leading the Labour Party, or is he, are either of them doing that? Well, I think this I is think your chance most... to get another prediction wrong. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm. That's why I'm hesitating. That's why you're here. I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure I'll be wrong, but I think the the, the neutral hypothesis is that uh, Boris Johnson leads the Tories and uh, Keir Starmer leads Labour. Well, in that case, and, Boris wins. And well, that's what I would have said until uh, until recently. Mm. But uh, even Peter Mandelson now thinks that uh, that Keir Starmer's got a chance of getting to oh number dear. ten. The Dark Lord has entered the fray. That's never good news for anybody. Uh, I wonder how uh, his mortgage is going these days. He's probably got enough money to pay it off, hasn't he? John <laughs> Rensel, thank you very much indeed. Uh, from the Independent, of course, chief political commentator. Lots to chew over from that conversation. We'll take your calls coming next on your mobile, on your wavelengths, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are here, of course, with you all the way through until one o'clock when it's time for Ian Collins, followed by Jeremy Kyle, followed, of course, uh, by uh, the News Desk show with Tom Newton Dunn, followed then by Piers Morgan, then followed uh, by The Talk, uh, which tonight features me uh, amongst the guests on the panel. So uh, if you're not doing anything at nine o'clock, by all means, do give it a watch. It will be fascinating. It's a panel show which talks about all of the events of the day, catches up on all of the news of the day uh, and gives you a pretty good indication of what's coming tomorrow as well. Tomorrow, of course, the Queen's speech is going to be here. Uh, We're going to be talking about that. We'll be covering it live for you. Whether the Queen is going to be well enough to actually present it is another matter. It could well be that it's Prince Charles that ends up presenting it. But let's talk for right now about who else is going to be covering it because, of course, the BBC spend an awful lot of time and money 
down in Westminster. We managed to cover Westminster for a lot less money, uh, with a lot less people, and with much more kind of accuracy, really, don't we? Because the BBC don't really cover Westminster with any great accuracy. The way they've treated the Keir Starmer scandal, the Durham Beergate story, as opposed to Partygate in uh, uh, Prime Minister's uh, office of 10 Downing Street, is chalk and cheese. Absolutely ridiculously different. But let's talk now to Rebecca Ryan, campaign director of Defund the BBC, because guess what? They've now decided, the BBC, they want to spend 50 more million pounds of our money to work out what viewers want to watch. Well, I can tell them that for a quid. Rebecca, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. Why? I mean, what are they doing now? Tell us, what's the plan? Yeah, they're planning on spending 50 million pounds of licence fee payers' money on tracking um, what people like to watch. It's not going to make a difference to anybody, is it? Because... You know, we had the Brexit poll. Uh, we had a clear output of what people wanted to, you know, what their views were. And, and the BBC spent the next four years campaigning hard for a second referendum. Yes. So I, I don't think that, you know, they're literally just burning money at this point. Yes. Which is pretty outrageous given the cost of living prices. Well, also you know. pretty outrageous given what they say sort of once every two or three months, which is that they're cutting back. Because my understanding yeah. of the BBC's um, sort of version of cutting back is that they let go a few people from the staff let list, thereby reducing mm. their wage bill, and then hire them back as freelancers, and they put them on another <laughs> wage bill. So it doesn't actually they don't actually lose their jobs; they just change their status. Exactly, they're just shifting around the uh, the um, deck chairs on the Titanic, aren't they? Really, but you know, this is the people in the country are really undergoing massive cost pressure. Energy bills are set to go up to three thousand pounds a year, which we heard this morning. Uh, from one of the power bosses um and you have the bbc you know just blatantly wasting license fee payers money in this way yeah. it's unacceptable well, one of the they put these tenders out apparently for for, for contractors to uh, to apply to sort of see if they can get the money. One is for forty six million. They run from March of next year until twenty twenty seven. So, if I set up a sort of research company, I could make an absolute fortune. And I'm not suggesting for a minute that there might be some jiggery pokery going on here. But imagine if you, as a senior BBC executive, knew somebody who ran a market yeah. research company and said, oh, why don't you apply to get this? And, you know, we'll all have a very nice time. Thank you very much indeed for 46 million quid of taxpayers' money. It's extraordinary. I mean, the, the viewing figures there are publicly available already. So we already know what people watch and what people don't want to watch. Why they need to spend a further 50 million on this, I don't know. You know, they could just stop reading The Guardian, which is what they, you know, their favourite newspaper. <laughs> Perhaps if they read a, a wider spectrum of newspapers, then, you know, they'd yes. find out very easily and more cost effectively. Or if they just actually listened to people around them or employed people who have a normal view who live but that's the trouble the M25. Isn't, that yeah. the, isn't that the problem with the BBC? That I've mm. always argued that their diversity campaign it should not be about what colour skin you are. Uh, it should be mm. about what what sort of background you've got. And that we've already heard yeah. that they're now going to... They know so little about working-class kids that they're actually going to have to ask them questions to see if they're mm. working-class enough, and then they're going to give them a job because they're working-class. I mean, Really? <laughs> I know it's pretty outrageous, isn't it? I mean, they're, yeah, they're talking about sort of what your parents did, what job your parent did when you were 14 years old, whether or not that qualifies you to yeah. be working class or not. Whereas they should just be bringing in people who've got a, you know, a, a natural selection of people who've got a, a, a variant of, uh, you know, views. Um, and that's that's where they go wrong because they're clearly dipping into the same pool for all of the people that they yeah, employ. Absolutely right. One one point three million pounds is for research on children and education, seeking insight, in their words, into how children discover our content, how children find and consume media, and who is influential in helping them choose. 
I mean, it's begging belief, this, doesn't it? I mean, have none of them got children? Could they not just do a kind of, you know, survey inside Broadcasting House where there's thousands of them and maybe they could get a rough idea, perhaps? Well, this is what's really worrying, isn't it? Because most parents are quite worried about the BBC's woke agenda yeah. and the kind of things that the BBC is trying to do to bypass parents and push through, you know, certain topics which are really quite controversial. You know, these sort of uh, the gender ideology, which is, you know, it's quite out there and, and they're pushing this directly to kids without parents even realising it. So, yeah, the fact that they're prepared to spend, you know, over a million pounds worth of licence fee payers' money on finding out how to reach children... It's quite concerning, I think. Absolutely. People. And, I mean, who knows? Before long, we'll presumably have a trans Doctor Who, won't we? Because we've already had a woman <laughs> Doctor Who. It was an absolute waste of time. Uh, we've now got Doctor <laughs> Who from Rwanda, uh, apparently. Mm. Uh, and next, mm. it will be a Doctor Who from the trans community, I would imagine. Not that I'm suggesting there's anything bad about that. No, but they're just working through their way through the tick boxes. And that's yeah. what I think is it's embarrassing. A, it's so people. embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Exactly. It's embarrassing for the people that have got, you know, who've been assigned the roles and it's embarrassing for people within those checkboxes, you know, because it is clearly just patronizing. And I think that's what people find really. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, the second pot that they're giving out, $6.5 million to be spent on bespoke research for harder-to-reach niche and diverse audiences. Um, do you think you they mean know. by we that? Might be a, we might be a niche audience. Well, listen, I think I am, a, I am a niche audience. <laughs> I'm also never going to get a job at the BBC on account of being white, middle-aged, uh, and, of course, um, heterosexual. I nearly said homosexual then. <laughs> Could have got myself a job. Could have got myself in. <laughs> Blimey, that was a bit of a Freudian slip, but you know what I mean. They'll never employ me, you know. Can I not sue them or something for that? <laughs> but yeah, like you say, in this day and age, you probably are a niche audience there. Yes. So yeah, um, yeah. But like you say, seven seven million pounds of license fee payers' money when people are really up against it financially with the yeah. the cost of living crisis, and they are just burning money on this kind of stuff. You know, really doubling down on their, you know, politics of identity. Um, and it's just not what people want. And this is why people are switching off in their droves and why people are realising that actually you don't need to pay for the BBC licence fee. If you don't watch live TV, if you watch everything on demand, you yeah. can legally go without a TV licence fee. Yes. And, and, you know, people are doing that in their but droves. But bizarrely, just sick to death of it. is it not mm. a, a trick of the, of the light, though, that if you watch this show live, you do mm. need a licence fee? If you watch this show live 
on on a television channel which happens to be on a television. Because you're now a, a because TV, we're now you're a now TV broadcast station. on TV. Yeah, because yeah, we're now broadcast when... on TV. I mean, if it's YouTube, yeah. it's maybe it maybe arguable. But if you're watching it on a television, on a television signal, say on Freeview or on Sky platform, yeah. Uh, yeah. you're basically you need a TV license to watch my program. I yeah. get nothing from yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So when you were talk radio and you were being broadcast live on YouTube, that was absolutely fine because you weren't being broadcast on TV. As soon as you're being broadcast on uh, traditional TV channels. You can't simultaneously uh, watch it even on YouTube, so it's it's completely unpleasable as well, yeah. really. Um, but then if you wait a few minutes and you know you watch everything on demand, you don't need a TV license, yes. so people can save themselves some money, watch all of Talk TV um, on demand instead if they yes. want to, um, and save themselves a load of money, and they're not you know supporting the BBC's woke campaigning. Yes. What a very good idea. Well done. I knew there was a reason why we got it on. Rebecca Ryan recommends watching this and slightly on delay. And that way you don't have to have a TV licence. Thank you, Rebecca. I mean, 50 million quid on what viewers want. We know what viewers want. They want to be spoken to like adults. They do not wish to be lied to. They do not wish to be taken down to. They don't wish to have uh, an audience kind of living in the dark because the channel that's talking to them won't tell them the truth. This is Talk TV. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Normally speaking, I would suggest at this moment that we are the home of common sense, but there's so much madness around that I'm not sure uh, by reporting it, uh, we can be commonsensical. We'll do our best, of course. So Keir Starmer is under the cosh. He's disappeared. Uh, he's in hiding, in fact, effectively, because he doesn't want to be asked any questions about whether he had a curry when he shouldn't have, whether we had more people round for the curry than he should have. We've just had a great call uh, from Sarah, who's basically laid out why the police are, are inevitably you're going to have to give him some kind of penalty charge notice, at which point, presumably, he's going to have to resign. Or not. <laughs> Meanwhile, there are many, many other matters afoot. Peter Hitchens is here from the Mail on Sunday. He's going to talk about Sinn Féin, uh, who are now uh, in a position to have the first First Minister of Northern Ireland belonging to a Republican Party, which was formerly uh, the political wing of the IRA. Great, isn't it? Now, Peter thinks that this could lead to bad things and possibly the uh, annexation of Northern Ireland and a united Ireland, which he may not think is a bad thing. So we'll talk about all of that. Plus, we'll talk about Putin's Victory Day Parade. Peter's, of course, been to one of those. Uh, we'll also keep taking your calls. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Later on, we're going to talk about the lack of dentists in Somerset. Apparently, it's a dentist-free zone. Some of you are taking me a bit too literally. I don't mean there are no dentists at all. It's just if you don't have one, you can't get one. That's kind of where we are. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let us say a very good morning to Mr. Peter Hitchens. Peter, good morning. Very nice to see you. Lovely to see you. On too. this auspicious day. Uh, I was regaling you earlier of how useless the trains were on Saturday. I, I'm, I'm sorry for repeating this story. I'm going to keep saying it. The idea that you can't get a train from Waterloo to Putney on a busy Saturday is extraordinary to me. Yes, bring back British Railways. It's oh, the only thing to do. Just renationalise we it. Well, that's right, but they've got to be renationalised properly as British Railways. Yes. With the fat controller and everything. It's got to be done. It's got to be done. And can we have the union leaders back as well? Well, I'm not they were great so fun. sure about... What was, it, Le, what was it, Len um, somebody? Oh, well, there was Sid the Wheel. The railway guy? Sid Wheel, there was Ray Buckton. Those are the ones I, I, I dealt with yeah. mainly. I can't remember who. It wasn't Len McCluskey. It was Len somebody else. But anyway, we'll get back there's to that. There's always a Len. There was Len Murray of the TUC. There's Le, that was it. Very that was much. one I was thinking of. Very much so. Um, well, let's talk about uh, what 
you kicked off your column with, and that was, of course, um, the uh, result in Northern Ireland at the election on Thursday. It is now clear, even to the dimmest, that the IRA have won in Northern Ireland, is your line. Well, that's the thing. I get this stuff all the time, and I say, look, in 1998, what this country signed was a surrender agreement uh, yes. to to the IRA. And people say, no, 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 the, the IRA were losing the British one. So in that case, uh, how, how is it? It has to resort to sarcasm. Uh, how is it the IRA were forced to accept the release of all their prisoners? <laughs> how were the IRA, for, how was Martin McGuinness forced to, to, to dress up in white tie and tails and go for dinner at Windsor Castle? Yeah. Uh, how, no, and how, how is it that the, 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 the British government, which supposedly won, then withdrew all its troops mm. and dismantled all its surveillance yeah. equipment and the, 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 the Northern Irish police force, the IUC was disbanded. Yes, and renamed. And repl- repl- well, re- no, not just renamed, but replaced by a wholly different and much more politically corrected mm. uh, body. Mm. Uh, the place has changed. The, the Union... No, not the, forgetting as well. Union Jack barely is allowed yeah. to fly over there now without special permission. Yeah. It's not. And if you look at the cap badges of the police, they do not have the crown no. of St. Edward on them, which is the symbol of authority right. in this country. They have a sort of a sort of a monopoly version crown yes. and a monopoly... And not only did they release all the terrorist prisoners, but they then started prosecuting uh, people who were in the British Army uh, for sort of war crimes. Oh, that's right. Uh, this, this, and the idea that this is some kind of victory, people go on and on about appeasement. I can't get people to shut up about appeasement here and appeasement there. But one of the biggest incidents of appeasement in the modern world is the appeasement of the IRA by Britain and mm. also, I have to say, by the United States in 1998. Yes. But we can't call it appeasement because uh, because then we'd have to admit that what we did was given. But this clearly, yeah. this agreement, which almost nobody has read, and mm. uh, you can make yourself immediately a distinguished expert by reading it, because <laughs> everybody you know will not have done so, right. has said for years that the that the, 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 the will at, at a time of, of, of somebody's choosing be a referendum on whether Northern Ireland... Uh, is is actually transferred to the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. And that referendum, if it goes in favour of that, will be irreversible. Mm. But if it doesn't go in favour of it, it can be held again every seven years. Yeah. Until it does. So it's obviously a one-way ratchet. Yeah. And that's that was a, a key part of the agreement, and I think this will come. And I think the although we all know that the what's happened with unionism in Northern Ireland is that it's split, yes. and is weak, which is why Sinn Féin is, is is the biggest party. The reason for that is mm. unionism has nowhere to go. Right. What all the all the loyalists are suddenly discovering that the people they want to be loyal to don't want them. The British government has not for many, many years wanted to rule Northern Ireland. Mm. They'd much rather hand it over if they could get rid of it. And people who want to be British are just being told by the British government, sorry, Buster, right. uh, you can't be. And it's sinking in with the Northern Ireland Protocol where yes. you actually have Northern Ireland well, on the far side of a customs barrier. I mean, the, the inaction by this government on sorting out the Northern Irish situation with Brexit and with the EU would suggest that they don't care. They don't, they don't want care. it to be never, John Major said back in, in in the 1990s, Britain has no what he called selfish interest in Northern Ireland right. anymore. What he said was, we, we don't want to hang on to it. The, the problem is that the people living there want, want, want to stay British, and that, mm. that has been the problem. Now they're so divided that they probably lack the power to do it. Yeah. But it's, what is undoubtedly the case is that is the terrorist violence won, and the governments, both Conservative and Labour, which go on and on about how dedicated they are to the fight against terrorism, actually gave into it yeah. when it confronted them directly, which means, as far as I'm concerned, that all the, everything they ever say about the subject should be dismissed mm. as blathers. Well, that's right. Because when they talked about, you know, we can't have possibly have a hard border between uh, the Republic and Northern Ireland because that would lead to violence. It's such a ludicrous position to hold. Well, does that mean you give in to every terrorist organisation? Well, it, it, it was a bizarre thing to say anyway because the, the 1998 agreement said nothing about the border. 
It wasn't about it. Right. The, 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 what there was of the border at the time, the, the effect that it did have was that the surveillance, the military and intelligence surveillance of the border, uh, and the, the, the enforcement of it as a security border mm. uh, gradually was dismantled. Yeah. But in terms of it being a customs barrier, it hadn't been one for ages. No. And uh, it was the, never going to The old customs posts on, on Dundalk and Newry stations no. had, been, had, had been rotting away for years. And that's the there. point as well, isn't it, about the, the, the passage of goods into Northern Ireland. Almost none of that goes any further than the border. It doesn't go into the Republic because they have their own transportation links. No, but if you, if you aren't careful, I'll, I'll start on about, uh, about why we should have, have taken the Norway option, which would have avoided all that problem anyway. But well, yeah, I that, don't, that don't maybe anybody, for another anybody day. Anybody wants to hear that anymore? Yeah, well, I think no. I think it's going to be an important conversation because I think the thing that people get wrong, and I've I've had a lot of conversations over the weekend with a lot of barristers who have said, you know, everyone's misinterpreting this almost as if they deliberately want to misinterpret it. Yeah, well, you know, the Sinn Fein win is not a win. They had the same number of uh, seats as they did last time, twenty-seven. You know, it's just because the other parties have fallen away. It still means that you're left with a first minister from Sinn Fein, who surely will be absolutely and utterly campaigning for a united Ireland. Or you'll get, or you'll get the death of the of, of the whole power sharing agreement because yeah. the unionists will never allow any first minister from Sinn Fein mm. to take office. So that will stop, mm. which will of course increase ultimately the the, the the tension. And then there's the other thing which everybody forgets is the huge boost which surrendering to the IRA gave to Sinn Fein. Yeah. In, throughout Ireland, mm. and Sinn Féin is now rapidly moving up the charts in the Republic of Ireland as a major party, yeah. and there is a big danger that it will replace Fianna Fáil. And at that point, of course, you have the the possibility of a United Ireland run by Sinn Féin. Yes. Uh, well, that again is the fruit mm. of the of, of the nineteen ninety. And you and I are both old enough to remember the bombing campaigns of the nineteen seventies, in particular. I mean, I was very close to the one in Holland Park where the cancer surgeon got blown up because uh, I went to school there. I walked, literally walked past it. And the explosion happened when I was about five minutes down the road. My mother was five minutes from the Harrods bomb, and if it hadn't been for me sleeping in with a hangover, she would have been in the shop. You know, so we all have a story. Oh, no, it was going on all the time. Yeah. You, you would be you would be going home, and, and you'd hear a great bang, and yeah. you know what it was. And all this, everybody says, oh, they gave warnings. Well, if they did, they well, often they, didn't no, get well, through, and no, they, they certainly they're not in time for people uh, wholly innocent people to be blown mm. to pieces by it. It was a ruthless It was horrible. Campaign, but it was also extremely successful. Yeah, and absolutely right. And also the, the fact that Dominic Raab's in some of the papers this morning assuring us all that this will not have any effect on the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland does not fill me with joy. <laughs> well, as soon as you hear it, <laughs> you know. That, I'm that, just grateful he knows where it is. Government statements. <laughs> just, okay, just keep that. Put it in an envelope. Keep it. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, Vladimir Putin. Today yeah. he's having his Victory Day parade, um, something you've attended in the past. Well, yeah, I it, it wasn't when I first lived in Moscow, when it was still the Soviet Union. Uh, it was much more of a day of celebration where all the old geezers, they were still alive then. Uh, uh, quite a lot of the veterans of the Red Army who'd, who'd, who'd fought their way to Berlin mm. would, would be indulged, and you'd see them in the streets singing and uh, having a bit, bit too much to drink yeah. and, uh, and wearing all their old medals. It was rather yeah. touching. Mm. Uh, then it replaced, eventually, uh, the, the great parade which used to take place, the Revolution Day parade, celebrating mm. the, the great coup d'etat of 1917, used to be held on November 7th. And that ended when communism ended in mm. 91. And I saw the last of those in November 1990. And then they began to make Victory Day a, a very big thing. Yeah. And it certainly it, looks pretty... Impressive. Well, it the is. Right word I mean, today. Red Square is an impressive, one of the most impressive squares in the world. I mean, with St. Basil's at 
cathedral mm. at one end and the Kremlin wall down the other side. It's an enormously impressive space. And if you run troops across it, it looks good. And, yeah. uh, but the fact is, it doesn't con really conceal from anyone who knows it the truth that the Russian armed forces aren't up to much. Mm. And in fact, I was looking up when I went to have a look at one of those parades 14 years ago, I think, looking up what I said and quoting experts saying, look, the Russian army is not any better than it was. It's still pretty useless. Yeah. It looks good on the square, but don't imagine this means it's actually going to be performed very well if it ever fights. Mm. And this is all borne out. I've been saying it for years, all this stuff about Russia being a huge military threat isn't actually true. I think when, we, the, when the whole thing began, I said that the Russian army was was different from the Soviet mm. army in that it was less drunk. Yes, uh, but that was the only right. concession. And I was certainly, there was talk, wasn't there, that he would want to have finished uh, in Ukraine and declared victory in Ukraine by this particular day. I don't know where that comes from. Yeah. I've searched for it. I, I'm, if anybody can provide it for me, I'm interested to see it. I'm constantly told that the, the, the objectives were set, but I don't know when they were set. It might be. I don't even know what their objectives are in Ukraine. You see, I don't know what it it's is. It's not clear, is it? Do. I mean, I it's almost as though if you were told that it was a purely a PR exercise for the people of Russia to think that that Putin was the man, you might even believe that. Oh well, of course, because it, 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 it's it's true both here and there that uh, everybody who relies on, particularly on television and the main newspapers for what they mm. for what they know about it, is getting a more or less one-sided diet. And it's all very well well for us to say that the Russians are being given a one-sided diet, but so are we, honestly. Yeah. I, you very very seldom hear any analysis which gives any uh, any weight at all to anything mm. which the Russians say. It's an absolute mystery to me, which needs to be solved. Just here you have the Ukrainian armed forces, which frankly are not much better than the Russians, and also smaller, who are now performing with such fantastic brio. Yeah. Uh, how has that happened? Well, not only and they more questions not asked about how this, this, yeah. this, this, this raggle-taggle force of a corrupt country has suddenly become so good at what it does. Yes, and also not only are they performing, but you too flew in uh, yesterday to Kiev to do a special performance for them as if they haven't suffered enough. Angelina well, Jolie just, sorry, has been so have, have they not yes. suffered enough? But I mean, it, it's obviously not that dangerous. I don't think Bono's that keen on going into uh, war zones. But we'll, we'll, we'll take a little pause for a moment. Peter Hitchens is here from The Man on Sunday. More after this. Online on DAB+, Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are now in the afternoon. It is coming up to five minutes past 12, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined in the studio by Molly Kingsley, uh, who is from Us For Them, uh, which is a campaign group, of course, which was started, I think I'm right in saying, Molly, during the pandemic, uh, to represent children, particularly in schools, particularly where schools were making them uh, go home and study from home. And you all remember probably exactly what that was like if you've got kids, or even if you haven't, if you've got friends who've had kids. It was a very troubling, difficult time for parents because most parents are not really equipped to teach their own children anything. Most parents are not even equipped to, to you know, make sure that they're monitoring their children, to make sure that they're doing the lessons. And certainly in the first lockdown, Molly, um, I seem to remember, I mean, I didn't even see my kids in the first lockdown because I was in London working and I didn't go there to, to where they live for about eight weeks. But there was no real urgency about anything. They weren't really given any homework. I think the message was, well, you can do some homework if you want, but you don't really have to. And of course, most kids just didn't bother. Well, I think that's exactly right. So, I mean, there was no legal obligation to provide remote learning on schools until the October. And of course, we had this long period from, mm. you know, whenever it was March, really till September for most kids where they were out of school. Yeah. And, 
And I think, I mean, you know, there's a lot that's been said about school closures and whether they can kind of been legitimised. I think most people would say they were a pretty horrific mistake. Mm. I think most people would say that particularly by February, when closed schools again, so February 21, it was, you know, almost unforgivable because obviously we knew knew about the harms. We also knew that schools were not... um, you know, essentially drivers of no. transmission. Kids are not super spreaders. Right. So for all those reasons, yeah. um, this was a bad decision. But I think, you know, you've got to look at where we are now yes. and actually what would be needed to mm. make that good. It's a good point to make because, you know, constantly children were being told you don't want to go home and infect your granny. And I mean, I'm without wishing to, to make a sweeping statement, I don't know that many kids that live with their grannies, to be honest. So, you know, granny probably would have been fine. And also, um, they would send bizarre numbers i remember from my own uh, school's experience with, with my kids you know they would sort of say oh so-and-so's got covid so they've sent some people home because they sat near him but in some cases they were people that sat in front of him and the people that sat behind him didn't get sent home or the people sat next to them didn't get, you know it was all kind of a bit random it was totally random and you know it was very damaging so there was a week in the end of june i think it was mm. 2021 there were where there were a million kids off school, the vast majority of whom were perfectly well. So, you know, right. it was it was damaging intervention. Obviously, school closures were, you know, very indiscriminate yeah. intervention that right. was incredibly damaging on the cohort. And I think it's just, it's very depressing to look at, you know, how much harm we cause kids, not only actually to their education, mm. but, you know, obviously that's a huge part of it. But yeah. I, think, I think it's very easy to minimise what we did by yeah. framing it simply in educational terms right. unfortunately we know the damage goes far beyond that of course we'll talk it about does that, i'm sure yes well there are many uh, people who tell me that, that just just as this kind of a, a kind of a conversational um aspect that you know their kids are a little bit different they're a little bit more um intense or a little bit more kind of in uh you know insular they don't want to go out so much i mean they're definitely i mean even my own children are not they weren't terribly badly affected by it, but but they but they were affected by it. Well, and yeah, I mean, I don't know if you saw that there was a series of Ofsted reports. So obviously, you know, again, there's a bit of a myth that education starts at school, and in this country, actually, we we do it quite badly. <laughs> um, we should be starting. We should be thinking about education and you know child attainment and mm. well-being from much earlier than that. And yeah. There was this series of Ofsted reports um, that were released about a month, month and a half ago, and they made for pretty scary reading. Mm. So what they should show is that for our early years children their development across all areas is lagging behind yeah. so there are speech and language problems babies aren't developing physically mm. the you know babies have been surrounded by masked yes. adults for two well, years well that's another thing isn't it and and you know the scary thing about this is your um child development at 22 months is thought to predict educational attainment at age eight mm. at age 26 and unbelievably at age 53 really? so that's your whole path right. and and you know we've got we we know we have these issues on the one hand and we have an absolute dearth of anything mm. sort of visionary or ambitious right. to solve it in terms well of this recovery. is it i mean we've now got a government which has mm. gone from kind of you know lock everything down don't go anywhere stay safe save the nhs to kind of what sorry um what pandemic covid what yeah. I mean, it's almost like they don't even mention it anymore. Well, no, they don't. And of course, it's very convenient because you'd have to, you know, looking at it from the kids and education point of view. So the government rewind a bit. 
I don't know if you remember, back in June mm. last year, the government appointed a catch-up SAR for education. Oh, yes, I vaguely remember that. How's <clears> that yeah. going? Is that, well, it didn't go too well, did it? Because he stormed <laughs> out. So he said he needed £15 billion right. for, uh, you know, something that would start to fairly tackle the deficit that mm. had been caused. Government said, no way. They offered about £1.4 right. By the way, that worked out at £22 a head per pupil. Have a guess at right. what the Netherlands offered. So £22 per head for our primary kids. Double? You can guess. That? No, two and a half thousand. Per kid? Per, per kid. So that gives you a hundred yes. times. So that gives you an idea yeah. of how far behind. And, and Sir Kevin left in disgust. Yes. And since then, really depressingly, not much has happened. No. So we have a tutoring programme that was very limited mm. in its ambition. Yeah. And even that has fallen over. So it was given to a private contractor. It was an absolute disaster, 90% of targets weren't being met right. and the con contract has just been cancelled so we are literally nowhere mm. now with education. And we've got two years worth of children mm -hmm. who have been sort of given an estimate as to what their exam results would have been yep. you know mm -hmm. if they'd taken them and it's kind of ridiculous isn't it because it means nothing really. In, I mean my yeah. oldest son has got some uh, exams to do this time next year so he should be doing his mocks this year which he will do but he's never really done any. No, Before. and it's, you know? and it's taking something quite intangible but very important away. Mm. So Jeff Barton, actually, who's head of one of the yes. big sensible head teachers union, he calls it the dignity of achievement, and mm. I think that's a really good way of putting it. You know, you've denied this cohort of children the yes. dignity of achievement, and and there's no way really of making that up. And of course, the other thing you've got going on is you've got three quarters of universities still offering some kind of blended learning. Mm. And actually, we know now students have been a bit apathetic. I think, although there was a great story, King's College students have uprisen and said no to that so they have right. king's college apparently is the only college that's going back to full oh, really face to face as right. a result of you know student revolt and i discovered in february that for most of february um a lot of university lecturers were actually on the strike because they said that their mm. conditions their pain conditions were unbearable and you're going sorry when you say unbearable do you mean working from home on Zoom, not actually going in. Is that what you mean? Unbearable? I, and I think, you know, it's it's a problem that really has um, been so apparent throughout the education system. Like, who is representing the pupils and the students at all ages, actually? So, you know, we've heard an awful lot about the working conditions of teachers, of university lecturers, and, you know, and that's fine. They are allowed to advocate yeah. for that. Like, that is their role, and they have unions... Who voice that but but there's been no one really advocating for for children right. and pupils and their welfare and that's why we're in this mm. problem where we have an education system that's actually unfit for purpose, unfit really for purpose. For well interestingly enough i think it was only last week that um, the government said the two places that need to get back to normal post-covid hospitals and universities yeah. right because hospitals are still operating as if covid is a massive thing that's killing everybody and you can't get in to see uh, your relatives if they happen to be inside you you know they're not allowing visitors there's still social distancing going on and same goes for universities because most of them mm. are not back they're not back with with pupils in lecture theatres it's madness no they're not and you know to be fair it's great that the government said that um They've said that a few times now. So both Nadim Zahawi mm. and Michelle Donnellan, who's the universities minister, have have seen. You know, I've lost track of how how many news reports I've seen where they're saying that. So yeah. that's that's great. I guess you know my question to be would be to them. You know, what are they actually doing to yes. enforce that? Because yeah. we know from there was a recent report which actually showed three quarters of universities are still offering blended learning. And the issue you've got now is obviously we're coming up to the next UCAS 
applications and there's no visibility and there's no transparency as a student so if you're applying it's not obvious if your course is going to be blended fully online are they doing open days and things or not really i think most are now i think so you can actually go and see where they want you to go i think you can go and see if you try asking and this is anecdotal anecdotally Mm. but parents in our group tell us if you try asking you know are you going to be offering fully face to face i think you get a load of caveated Mm. answers still but you can at least go which is an improvement on last year yeah well that is good and the other thing of course that uh, the problem for the government is is that the other place where nobody's working uh, in an office is the civil service Mm. so it's a bit hard for them to start you know pressuring people to go bring them all back but in the home office uh, not so much well and actually the worst offender was d of e i don't know if you saw that though yeah and and you know and i think this does speak to a wider issue so i mean you know personally i do think that there is more room for nuance Mm. in the home working yeah that you know i think there is a degree of flexibility that's required you you know you don't have to support fully back in the office are you talking universities rather than schools obviously right yeah no i'm actually talking about civil service so i I think i think once you get to the stage where you've got you know people that have other responsibilities i think a degree of flexibility Mm. is potentially helpful i would not ever advocate for fully working from home. No, I don't think it's a good idea at all. I mean, I just think it's a really bad idea because I think the whole point of working is that, you know, you work in an environment which is a work environment. I mean, we were speaking the other day to a sort of relationship specialist who said, you know, people are very different at work. And if you work from home, your partner's there, you're there, uh, assuming you have one, um, it can be really quite difficult because then this is something I hadn't thought of. It's not just about the fact that you're using part of your home for for an office, but it's that you're possibly a different person. Well, and it's, I mean, there's a lot of distractions and we saw yeah. that in COVID. I mean, right. certainly when you're trying to work with your kids, I mm. mean, I, you know, I don't, most people would say that it's just a fallacy and yes. you can't do it. But and I think, you know, going back to kind of D of E, and mm. I can't remember what it was, it was a huge 75% of their staff, was, yeah. I think. Yeah. And, it, you know, that to me speaks of a lack of enthusiasm. Like we have a school system mm. that is, has been in chaos. It now has a chronic lack of vision, of yeah. long-term funding, and of energy. Yeah. And actually, you want to galvanise people, and I think that's very hard to do yeah. if all your workers <laughs> are working at are home, working not at centrally. Home. And you can't get lots of things done. Tell me, we haven't got much time, tell me what your campaign and grouping uh, now is, because obviously, if the DOV isn't much at work, you can't really come see them to talk to them. Um, how do you do that? No, I mean, I think we've always um, leveraged the voice of our parents. So, you know, we have quite a big parent network and times quite an angry parent network. And I think as we obviously we've been very focused on the pandemic, Mm. I think the one learning we have out of the last two years is that to change anything for kids, we have to change the structural environment. So we have to be able to legislate for them government at policy level and we have to do something to not only get their voices heard but to give those voices weight yeah so i think as we go forward and move out of this we would like to start using you know the maybe collective of parent voices mm. and actually it's not just parents it's people that care about kids yeah. to use that weight to i guess insert you know children's interests into policy making absolutely right listen great to see you uh, we're you. out of time but molly thank you very much indeed us for them is the name of the group you want to give us a quick website for that yeah www www.usforthem.co.uk Thank you very much, Molly Kingsley. This is, of course, uh, Talk TV. Back after this. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 